If you would, go ahead and grab a Bible. We're going to jump right into this message this morning. And if you're new to Shades today, we're so grateful that you're here, especially on a holiday weekend, braving the, the rain and being here, man, thank you for being here. If you're joining us online, hey, we're glad you're with us as well, wherever in the world you may be. And we're thankful for the time to now turn our attention to the word of God. We are in the book of Ephesians. So if you, if you have your Bible or a Bible app, or if you need to grab one of the Bibles there in front of you in the seats, we're in Ephesians chapter four. And we've been walking through a, a study in Ephesians really for most of this, this calendar year. And we're going to continue all the way until the end of Ephesians later in the fall. But today we, we pick up in verse 17 uh, of Ephesians chapter 4. And what we've been talking about, if you're new to Shades or you haven't been with us in some time, we've been, we've been talking about whether it says at the very beginning of Ephesians 4 that there is a call on the people of God through Jesus Christ, those who are followers of Christ, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. To walk in a manner worthy of this gospel, this good news that has been made available to us through Jesus Christ our Lord. And what we've been seeing is as we walk through these verses is that the, the, the way we walk worthy is to first recognize we actually can't walk worthy. The way we walk worthy is to acknowledge that there is one who is worthy. There is one who has perfectly walked worthy on our behalf. His name is Jesus, and he, he offered his life for us so that through his sacrifice at the cross and through the, the power of his resurrection that we just sang about, that we just got excited about, through the, through the power of this, this resurrected life through Jesus Christ, we, in his grace and in his forgiveness and in his mercy, can be called worthy. By grace, through faith, we can be saved through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so we, we recognize that as we talk about our behavior, it flows out of the finished work of what Christ has done for us. And so in this, the word of God provides some, some very clear instruction. We're going to see that today, that if you're, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus and if you've received the good news of the gospel, that this, this good news of the gospel should, should begin to create change in your life that flows out in the way you live. It actually creates a distinction between the people of God, the followers of Jesus, and the rest of the world. So I want you to know, I realize you may be here today still trying to figure out what you believe about Jesus or, or what you believe about a relationship with God. You may have a lot of spiritual questions. You may be, you may be seeking for some answers. And you, you may be here today even going, you know, I, I kind of just want to blend in and figure out what this is all about. Well, I do want you to know that this, this scripture that we're looking at today is going to show us that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you're not just going to blend in with the world. There's actually going to be a distinction in your life because of what Christ has done. And that distinction in your life will be more and more obvious as the gospel takes root in your life and begins to impact the way that you live. 
So if you are here with spiritual questions, we're glad you're here. We're so thankful. You may be, you may be joining us from, from another spot online, and we're so grateful that you're joining us. But we want you to know this, this scripture, this, this calling that we're talking about for, for the church of Jesus Christ, it is a call to distinction, a call to be different from the world around us. And you'll see what I mean as we look at these verses. Ephesians 4, begin verse 17, and I'd like to invite you to stand if you're willing and able. We, we stand at the reading of God's word here at Shades because we all, every single week, need to be reminded that the word of God, not the opinions of man, not, not the word of the world, no, the word of God is the foundation for those who are followers of Jesus Christ. It is the foundation on which the church of Christ is built. It's the word of God, again, not the opinions of man, not the words of the world that show us what is right and good and true according to God through his scripture. So we look to the word needing to hear what God says. And this is what the scripture reveals, Ephesians 4, 17, through the apostle Paul, divinely inspired by the spirit of God, he writes, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in futility of their minds, for they are darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They become calloused and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But this is not the way you learned Christ. Here's the distinction Paul is writing, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We're looking at this distinction between the followers of Jesus, and the world around us. And we need to pray together that God would use this time and use his word to speak into our lives what we need to hear. So let's pray before we're seated. Father, as we look to you now, the proclamation of your scripture, it is my prayer that, that you would have your way among us corporately as a people gathered in the name of Jesus and specifically that you would have your way in our lives individually. For in this space, as we gather, there are so many stories represented and so many circumstances that people are walking through. And Lord, you know every detail. And we praise you that you meet us in every single story and circumstance. And we pray that your word would speak, speak clearly into our lives. For there is something that I need to hear. There is something that we need to hear. And so we turn our attention to your word, believing that you will speak to us in our story and our circumstance. I pray that you would be glorified through it all. We thank you for this time. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for standing. You may be seated. As I was preparing this week, Thinking about this passage in Ephesians 4, I begin to think back to a time in, in our life, in our marriage, about 10 years ago or so, 
where Megan and I made a decision that we were gonna, we were gonna buy a house on a little piece of property uh, outside of uh, kind of the, the area of development where we were living in Atlanta at the time. We were gonna move out of a neighborhood and we were gonna, we were gonna see what it was like to live on a little piece of property. So, so we bought this, this house and then this was an old house that needed a ton of work. I'm talking about like people hadn't lived there in, in a couple of years and when you open the door, like there was a smell that hits you and you're thinking, okay, we're gonna live here. This is great. It was rough. And he had all kinds of things done to it. And so we, we, we had a team that was helping us. We had a contract. We had some people that were, were doing the work and helping us. And, and Megan had the, the vision and the design of what she wanted. And so we started in that process and they started pulling things up, ripping up floors and, and working on paint and repairing all the things that needed to be repaired. And, and one day the, the, the head contractor that was helping us, he came to me and he said, hey, I want you to know I've been, I've been working in the bathroom. What would be the master bathroom? And I, I pulled up the floor of the shower because I you know, we're renovating the, the shower because it's nasty. And he said, I just want you to see what was under there. So I go walking back there and the, the, the wood frame underneath the shower, like the, the, the foundation, if you will, of the house underneath the shower, it was completely rotten, completely black with mold. I mean, just disgusting. And he said, watch this. And he, he, he pushed against one of the, the wood beams that was supposed to be the support under the shower. And it literally just crumbled in his hand. It just fell apart right there. He said, I want you to know, it's a good thing that we're renovating this shower and we pulled up the flooring because if we had not, it was just a matter of time that one of y'all would have been in this shower taking a shower and the floor would have collapsed underneath you. And you would have fallen into the crawl space. Now there's a show on TV. It's a show I've never seen, but I've seen the ads for. It's called Naked and Afraid. <laughs> I'm just telling you, like that's, that's my version of Naked and Afraid right there. When you're in the shower and all of a sudden you're in a dark, nasty crawl space, soaking wet with no clothes on, that's Naked and Afraid, right? So thankful that he had pulled back. We just thought we were doing some cosmetic work on the shower. So thankful he had pulled back the floor to see what was underneath. Hey, I say all that because the verses that we're getting into today in Ephesians 4, they are an invitation to pull back the flooring. And that's challenging. Because that means these verses are gonna, they're gonna ask us to examine not the, the things on the outside, but the things on the inside. What's going on beneath the surface in our lives? And what the word of God is going to show us here in Ephesians 4 is that, is that the gospel does its greatest work underneath the surface. And then it impacts the way we live on the outside for the world to see. Paul uses some strong language in Ephesians 4, 17, and I wanna read this again to you because it's important to see the emphasis he's placing on the statements that are being made here about the, the, the way the Gentiles live versus the way the, the people of God are called to live through Christ. He says, now I say and testify in the Lord. He says, look, this, this, this is something you must hear. I'm, I'm using my, my power and authority in the name of Jesus to say this is of the utmost importance. This is Paul's way of saying, don't miss this. 
This is a big deal, what we're about to talk about. And the reason why Paul is emphasizing this in such an emphatic way is he makes this statement, I testify in the Lord, is because he understands what, what many of us have, have experienced. And that's when we start to talk about the way to live the Christian life. We immediately turn our attention to all the things on the outside. And we immediately say, okay, let me get my, my pen and write the to-do list of all the things that Christians are supposed to do. And then let me make another list of all the things that Christians are not supposed to do. And Paul says, hold on, before you even go there, let's peel back the flooring. Let's look underneath the surface. Because before we can ever talk about our behavior, we must first talk about our heart. We must first talk about the way that we think. And we must recognize that there is to be a clear distinction through the power of the gospel changing our heart and changing our thoughts and changing the way we view the world around us that will then impact the way that we live and the things that others see in our life. Paul uses the Gentiles as an example here in these verses. He says, don't, don't, don't walk the way the Gentiles do. And for those who were religious at the time, they would understand what Paul's talking about. The Gentiles here, they, they represent the world. They represent those who are not followers of Christ. And we can look at those this comparison here, we can go, oh yeah, 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 as a, as a church, we're supposed to be different from the world and, and the way the world lives, it's bad. And all those people out there, they're bad. But I want you to know this very same message was actually delivered by Jesus to those who were religious. Matthew chapter 23, you can turn your attention there real quickly. Jesus has some very strong words about those who are the most religious, those who are called the Pharisees and the scribes, those who are seen as the experts on religion, those who would show up at church on a holiday weekend in the rain, right? I mean, it's none of y'all. That's not what I'm talking about. But no, there, there's a group of people called the Pharisees and the scribes that, man, they knew the law and they knew all about good behavior, and they had devoted their lives to teaching people how to live a good enough life that they could be right with God. But Jesus is saying, actually, that breaks down altogether. And it even breaks down for those who teach this way. Matthew 23, verse 25, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly, listen to this, appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Remember, Ephesians 4 is written to the church. The Apostle Paul is saying there should be a distinction between the church and the world, and Jesus is saying to those who are religious, there's actually a huge distinction between those who are religious and those who follow Jesus. Jesus. 
And it's all about what happens on the inside through the power of the gospel. I know when we talk about looking underneath the surface and we read sobering verses like the warnings to the Pharisees and the scribes in Matthew 23, that, that it, can, it can create some tension in the room. And some of you are probably feeling this tension now. There's, there's often two ways that this tension might play out. One of them is you start to think, gosh, I hope they don't, I hope they don't know what's really going on in my life. We're gonna talk about what's beneath the surface. Man, I don't really want anyone to know what's going on beneath the surface. I mean, I, I've tried to clean up the outside so that people don't know what's going on on the inside. And if they find out what's going on on the inside, man, I, I'm gonna be in trouble. Like, I, I, I'm imagining they're gonna judge and, and condemn and push me aside. And maybe you today where these verses will make you nervous. Go, Golly, I don't, want, I don't want anyone to really know what's happening under the surface. The gospel is going to call you to a more beautiful way. But there's also some that they hear these warnings and they, they read about the Pharisees and the scribes and the hypocrites and they go, oh man, don't you talk to me that way. Like you don't understand. Like I, I've got things in my life under control and there's, there's this defensive posture. Like who are you to tell me that I need to pay attention to something else because I'm already paying attention to the things that matter. There are some that want to shrink back because they don't want to be found out and there's some that want to build a wall because they don't want anyone to tell them there might be something in their life that needs to be laid before the Lord. Maybe that's you today. But if it is you today, I want you to know, if you are willing to listen to what the word of God lays before you and invite the spirit to move in your life, the gospel will show you a more beautiful way. And that's what Ephesians 4 is about. Paul is contrasting the way the world lives versus the way that those who are followers of Christ should live, that, that walks in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. And he gives us three specific areas where there should be a distinction between the follower of Jesus and the world around us. Look back at verse 17 again. I testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. The Apostle Paul starts here with our thought life. He, he's asking us to pull back the flooring, to, to pull back the, the surface, if you will, and to think about our thought life and, and the way we think. And he's saying, are, are you thinking like the rest of the world? Because for the Gentiles, it's the way the world thinks that dictates the way they think. It's the, the way the world around them thinks that impacts their thought life that then motivates them to live a certain way. Paul is saying if you're in Christ, your thought life should be very different than the thought life of the world around you. In fact, he says this another way in Romans chapter 12, verse two, where he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is acceptable and perfect. Paul is saying, look, you, you've got to understand that if you are in Christ, you have been given an invitation to have a completely different way of thinking. We stand on the word of God. What God says is right and good and true. It is the word of God that then, that then reveals to us the will of God. 
and invites us to think a very different way from the world around us. I, I love that Romans 2 talks about the will of God because that's a, a conversation that many people have questions about. How do I know the will of God for my life? Maybe you've asked that question before. You're facing a big decision or you're in a, a season of, of change and you're going, how do I know the will of God? Well, well, here's how you know the will of God. The will of God for your life every single day in every situation is that you live for the glory of God. You wanna know the will of God in that decision that you're facing? How can you live for the glory of God in the midst of the decision you're facing? And you're trying to determine which way to go? Can you live for the glory of God this way? The will of God is that you live for the glory of God in all things. And the way that you know how to live for the glory of God is to build your life on the foundation of his word and to have your mind renewed in the power of his word. So let me just ask you a very practical question. Is the word of God the biggest influence on the way you think? Is the word of God the biggest influence on the way you think? Or is it something else? Are you, are you leaning on the word of God as much as you lean on the opinions of others? Are you spending as much time in the word of God as you spend on social media? Are you spending as much time in the word of God as you do listening to talk radio or, or watching cable news? And what's the biggest influence in the way you think? Is it the word of God? What Paul is saying here, when you spend time in the word of God, your mind will become different from the world around you. There will be a distinction. Your thought life will be different from the, the world around you. There will be a, a distinction. And it will begin to impact the way that you live. What's going on in your thought life, the word of God asks us to consider. But then we move to verse 18. Ephesians 4, 18 says this of the Gentiles, again, of the world. They are darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. So here, the Apostle Paul moves from thinking about our thought life to, hey, let's talk about your heart life. What's going on in your heart? And here Paul is showing us there is a, a very clear distinction between those whose hearts are hardening or hardened and those whose hearts have been transformed and are growing to become more like Christ. So how do you know if your heart is hardening or if it's becoming more like Christ? Let me give you two very practical indicators through the word of God. The first is look at the heart of Jesus. The heart of Jesus. One of the most beautiful examples of the heart of Jesus is in Matthew 11, 28, and 29. I have to go back to these verses often. These are verses that I wrestle with on an ongoing basis because they reveal the heart of Jesus. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest 
for your souls. What is the heart of Jesus? The heart of Jesus is gentleness, humility, and rest. Gentleness, humility, and rest. Are you growing in gentleness in your heart? And is it seen in the way you interact with others? Or is your heart hardening? I, I, I tell you, I have to wrestle with this all the time. Megan, my wife, is sitting here on the front row. She can tell you that I wrestle with this all the time. And specifically, uh, on Friday, my day off this week, uh, I was wrestling with this. And here's how. I had a list of things that I was trying to do around the house. You know, I'm a man. I'm going to do some stuff, right, on my day off. I'm trying to get some things done around the house and in the midst of my to-do list and the things that I was trying to do, Megan came out and was talking to me and I responded to her very bluntly, very directly, which translates very harshly. That's my blunt direct becomes harsh very quickly. And so in a very loving and gracious way, she just looked at me and said, so is this how you're going to talk to me all day? Yeah. She loves Jesus. Man. The reality is, it's easy, it's easy for my, for my heart to actually become harsh, to actually begin hardening, instead of my heart to be more like Christ. Gentleness humility, and rest. You know, when I think about these verses and the, the promise that Jesus provides, it's a promise that he's extending to you today. You will find rest for your soul if you turn to Jesus. I just wonder if our hearts are becoming more like Jesus, do people find rest when they interact with us? Or do people feel like they need to rest after they interact with us? Are our hearts becoming more like Christ? That's, a, that's an indicator of what's going on in the inside. Look at the heart of Jesus. But then another very clear indicator of what's going on in our heart is the words that we speak. So we can, we can look at the heart of Jesus and we can say, okay, am I becoming more like Jesus? And we can think about the, the things that we say and the way we say them. And we can ask, am I becoming more like Jesus in my heart? Luke 6 verse 45 says this, the good person out of good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. Listen, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And every man in the room goes, why is that in the Bible? We need to hear it. Our words reveal what's going on in the heart the way an EKG reveals what's going on in the heart. Is our heart growing to become more like Christ or is our heart growing in harshness and hardness? For that's the way of the world. Their heart is hardening. Their heart is so hard they can't even see the truth of what God has done. Are we more like the world in our hearts or are we more like what Christ has provided through the gospel? A softened heart, a new heart, because of the grace and mercy he has given. And then third, as we go back to Ephesians 4, verse 19, 
we see another comparison Paul gives between the followers of Jesus and the Gentiles, the world around us. He says they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Here, the word of God is asking us to peel back the layer and examine our relationship with impurity. And this is really sobering in our culture today, is it not? You talk about purity, sensuality, the room gets really, really quiet. And there's a battle being waged every single day in our lives. A very real spiritual battle. The things that are sensual and the things that are impure are, are everywhere. And we have to stop and take stock and ask the question, am I... Am I living like the world around me as the world around me becomes more calloused to sensuality and impurity? Or is there a distinction in my life because of the good news of the gospel that has set me free? This is an invitation to just honestly ask the things that you watch, the things that you consume, are they causing you to grow more calloused to impurity? Or are the things that you watch and the things that you consume causing you to grow closer to the light of Jesus Christ? For here the scripture is saying the, the way of the world is sensuality and greed to practice every kind of impurity and, and that's, that's revealing a very comfortable relationship with the darkness. Does that describe your life? Because you see the reality is the more calloused we grow towards sensuality and impurity, the more we will start to keep our distance from the light. The light is glaring, the light is blinding when we're comfortable with the darkness. The more we keep our distance from the light, growing calloused to sensuality and impurity, the more our life just begins to blend in with the world around us. This is a distinction. It's a challenging distinction. But the word of God is saying those who are followers of Christ who have received the good news of the gospel have received an invitation, please don't miss this, to a more beautiful way. A more beautiful way of thinking, a more beautiful way of our heart coming to life in the good news of what Christ has done. A more beautiful way to, to view the world around us, to, to walk away from impurity and, and, and to, to see what God has provided that is so right and good and true. But what is your relationship like with impurity? Paul follows all this up and he says in Ephesians 4, 
20 and 21, but this is not the way you learned Christ. Again, there's a distinction. He says, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in truth righteousness and holiness. He says, look, church, there is to be a distinction between the way that we live in light of the good news of the gospel, in light of the finished work of Christ, in light of the, the invitation to be forgiven and covered in the grace of God. There should be a distinction in the way that we live that is so clear between, between the way a Christian lives and the way the world lives that it's like, it's like you have a new wardrobe that you put on. A whole new uniform that you put on. A whole new outfit that you put on that, that stands out from the world around us because of what Christ has done. Because there's been this beautiful work on the inside. There's this beautiful light that shines on the outside. Is that our story the gospel has begun to impact the way that we think and the gospel has transformed our heart and the gospel has given us a very different relationship with purity and impurity. And the old clothes, they, they've, they've, been, they've been removed and this new wardrobe has been given because of what Christ has done. There's a really beautiful story in Luke 15 that I want to turn your attention to in light of what we've seen in Ephesians 4. This will, this will be the way we close this message today. Luke 15, as I know many of you know, is a, a portion of scripture where Jesus tells some stories. They're called parables, and there's three very well-known parables that are told by Jesus in Luke 15. There's the parable of the lost sheep, there's the parable of the lost coin, and there's the parable of the lost son. That's the longer of the three parables, and we often refer to that parable as the story of the prodigal son. And even if you hadn't been around the church very much or, or you're not very familiar with the Bible, there's a really good chance that you've heard something about this story of the prodigal. Many people have, have called this one of the greatest stories ever told. It's an incredible story. It's the story of a man who has two sons. And one of the sons comes to his father and he, he, he says, Dad, I'm ready to go out into the world. I'm actually ready to get away from you altogether. And so I, I know that when you die, there's going to be an inheritance. But since you're not dead yet and you won't hurry up and die, I just want the money now. Think about that. Not a very gracious thing to say to the father. All I care about is your money. So can I just have mine and get out of here? And in the story that Jesus tells, the father gives this young man, his son, his share of the inheritance, which is shocking. And the young man leaves and he begins to use this wealth of his father in all kind of crazy different ways. And he's, 
He's living wild. He's living reckless. He's making bad decisions. He's blowing all the money. I mean, it's just everything is, is kind of spiraling out of control. And one day he realizes that the money has dried up and there is a severe famine in the land. And this young guy is desperate. And the only job he can find at the time is, is working in a pigsty. I love what Jesus does in the story. You can read this later in Luke 15. He says there's a, there's a moment where this young man, he, he comes to his senses, he comes to himself, and he realizes this is ridiculous. I don't have to live this way because I actually know someone who can give me a better way of living. It's not that I have earned it by any means. It's not that I deserve it. And I, I really don't even think I belong in the family anymore. But my father, if he wants to, he can at least give me a job that will pull me out of this pigsty. And so I, I don't want to do this. I don't want to swallow my pride, but I'm going to swallow my pride and I'm going to go home with my tail tucked between my legs and I'm going to beg my dad as humbly as I can. Dad, I, I know I've messed up. I know I've ruined my life. I know I've wasted all that you've given me and I don't belong in this house anymore and I'm not worthy to be your son, but can I just have a job? I just want a job. And so this amazing thing happens in the story as Jesus tells it. The young man begins to head home. And before he can even get the words out of his mouth, begging his dad for a job, we see one of the most amazing displays of love that anyone could ever encounter. Luke chapter 15, verse 20, it says, he arose and he came to his father. Listen to this. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Before he could even say a word, dad, I know I know you've got to be mad. Dad, I know you're disappointed. Dad, I'm embarrassed. Dad, I've, 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 I've wasted all that you've given me. I've slandered the family name. Dad, can you, just, can you just give me a job? Before he can even say a word, the father embraces him in this unbelievable, undeniable act of love and compassion, plants a kiss on his face, his boy, some of you need to hear this because your view of God has been so skewed and perverted. And you think that if you were to turn back to the Father, what you would find is, is an angry man waving and pointing at you in judgment. Oh, I knew you'd screw up. Oh, I knew you'd blow it. Oh, yeah, yeah, don't even try to come back now. Some of you, that's, that's your view of God. And yet Jesus is saying, I want you to see the Father. I want you to see the, the Father's love for you. That the moment you turn, he says, you're home. I love you. You're my, my boy. Come here. Get in here. Come on right now. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What a beautiful 
beautiful picture. And then listen to this. Listen to this in light of what we've just seen in Ephesians chapter 4 about these new clothes. Take off the old, put on the new. Listen to what we see in this beautiful story of the prodigal son returning to the loving arms of the father. Verse 21. The son said to his father, here's the speech. He's been working on this. I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet because my boy needs some new clothes. And I don't want, I don't want him to take those old dirty clothes and put them in the washing machine because this is not about him cleaning himself up. No, this is about a new outfit altogether. Get rid of the filthy rags, put on this robe of righteousness. It's not a robe that you've earned. No, 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 don't. We know that from the story, it's so clear. You don't deserve the robe, but I want you to have the robe because of my great love for you. Put on the robe of righteousness, what Christ has done for you. For you and I cannot fulfill the law and you and I cannot live a day without sin. But Jesus Christ lived the perfect life free from sin and offered his perfect life as the perfect atoning sacrifice on the cross for your sin and for mine. Why? So that our sin could be forgiven? Yes, but not only that. So that through the cross and the power of the resurrection that defeats sin and death, there could be a new outfit, a new wardrobe put on the back of those who trust in Jesus that says you are righteous before God. You are righteous before God because of what Jesus Christ has done. And when that begins to impact the way you think, and when that gives you a new heart, and when that changes the way you relate to impurity, all of a sudden, this robe of righteousness becomes the beautiful expression of light to the world that a world that is darkened in their understanding is so desperate to see. Church, you've been invited to take off the old, peel back the layer, be honest with what the gospel needs to do on the inside, put on the new, the robe of righteousness, and walk out into the world distinct from the world, not because of how great you are, but because of the great love of God lavished upon you through Jesus Christ, our Lord. To God be the glory. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We love you. And it is unbelievable to consider that you have invited us to put on a new robe of righteousness.
No, the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness and the compassion and the kindness that you offer to us in our sin and in our shame. Instead of receiving what we deserve, you offer us this beautiful, beautiful new wardrobe and the finished work of Jesus Christ. Oh, thank you, Lord. And so I pray for every person who is a follower of Jesus today, listening to this message and interacting with your word through the power of your spirit. Lord, I pray that we would be open and honest before you to see what is it that, that perhaps needs to be laid before you in the power of the gospel as it relates to, to our thought life and our, our heart life and, and our relationship with impurity. Lord, what, let, let us see, let us see what needs to, to take place in us on the inside so that, so that we can, can live more distinct from the world and live as a light of the gospel to the world. Oh, this good news is so powerful. Lord, may it continue to do work in us. That we can walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. And Father, I pray specifically for those who are joining us today who, who are wrestling with what they believe or maybe have spiritual questions or trying to determine how can their life be right with God. Oh, Father, I pray that they would see the incredible invitation of the gospel, that there is a new life, that there is a, a robe of righteousness in the finished work of Christ that covers our sin and calls us a son or a daughter of the king. I pray that today would be a day that someone says, yes, I need what Christ alone can provide. And Jesus, I'm ready to follow you. We praise you for the gift of salvation. We praise you for the incredible promise by grace through faith, one can be saved through the finished work of Jesus Christ. May you use our lives, Lord, more and more for your glory to point to this beautiful gospel that we have received. Thank you for this time. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.